0: If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning, verses 1 through 34, Genesis 47. Remember, Genesis is that first book of the Bible, so it's an easy find. Uh, it's on page 40 of my Bible. Now, I'll go ahead and uh, address the, the drip zone here. You're probably wondering, didn't we just get a roof put on? We did. Um the, the cupola, which is that structure in the center of the sanctuary, is going to need some special attention. So we'd ask for some patience, and I hope that's not too much of a distraction this morning. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 47, 1 through 34. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer together. Heavenly Father, once again, as your assembled church, we're gathered here to worship you, and now we, we come to your word. We ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us illumination. We want to hear and understand this passage. Help us understand the Bible, Lord. We ask you to give us the ears to hear what, what you're saying and also the ability to apply what we learn to our lives so we can better serve and live for you. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There are some places that try to get people's attention by capitalizing on the fact that they can serve anytime. They they can provide their goods or services at any time. There are some uh, gyms or some health clubs that are like this. They... They say 24-7 we're open no matter what time of the day or night it is. If you want to work out at 2 a.m. in the morning, you can come and work out at 2 a.m. in the morning. Of course, people, some people do. Uh, there are grocery stores also that, that are open 24-7. And they say anytime you want to come in, you want a grocery shop at 4 a.m., come on in. You can get your groceries and, and whatever you need. So they, they definitely hit the any time Uh, aspect of of providing, but they don't really hit the anywhere, because you still have to physically go to their location and you have to leave your house and go there. And then there are other places and other businesses and and, uh, organizations that stress the anywhere. They say, we'll come to you, no matter where you're at. Uh, Lawn care services, we come to you. We come to your house on your property. We take care of it. Landscaping, we come to you. Uh, mobile dog grooming services we come to you you don't have to bring her over to us we will come to your house and, and take care of it uh, even food delivery services which are pretty quick come to you they they have the anywhere taken care of but they really can't boast any time because all these places you need to set up an appointment or, or schedule a consultation or uh, even even the pizza delivery places a.m., probably not going to find somebody that's making pizzas at that time. So it's very rare to find something that says anytime and anywhere. But in Genesis 47, we're going to see how God can and does bless anytime, anywhere. We're going to see that in the midst of what we might call a royal blunder, God blesses the sons of Israel. We're going to see that in the pagan land of, of Egypt, God blesses Israel. During a time of famine, God blesses them. Anytime, anywhere. Uh, the fact that God can and does bless anytime, anywhere is good news for us. However, there is one um, thing that, that God has chosen not to do when it comes to spiritual blessings. And that's going to require some explanation, so we're going to save that to the end and unpack and talk about it near the end of the message. So for now, we want to read through this entire chapter. It's going to take just a couple of minutes. Genesis 47, and try to listen to how God is blessing Israel, uh, the sons of Jacob, anytime and anywhere. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks well, the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is before you, settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock." Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood in before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other, Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives, may it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaohs. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So this passage begins with what we're going to call blessing during a, a blunder. Uh, just to recap, if you remember, the entire household of Jacob, all the people have packed up and left Hebron, which they have been in, and have traveled all the way down, and now are very in, in the land of Egypt in a place called Goshen, which is kind of on the, the eastern side of it. And the original offer extended to Jacob and his household by Pharaoh was to come on down and you can settle in the land. But they never agreed on exactly where they would be living, and so now is the time where they need to officially come before Pharaoh and secure the rights to um, some land. Now, Joseph goes before his brothers to Pharaoh and speaks with them. And we've seen this before as we've gone through here. um, Joseph kind of acts as this buffer zone between Pharaoh and his family. Joseph is the one who has been there the longest. He knows Pharaoh. He has Pharaoh's trust. He knows how the customs go in Egypt. And he doesn't want his brothers to do anything rash or foolish in the presence of Pharaoh. And so if you recall, at the end of chapter 46 even, he rehearsed what they would say. He said, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to come before Pharaoh. He's going to say this. You say this. And then we'll go from there. So Joseph has kind of walked them through what he wants them to do. And it's a strategic move. Um, He has brought his family in. And if you notice, he's kind of parked them in Goshen. It's like, we don't have uh, official rights to any place, but for now, just kind of plop yourselves down in Goshen. Well, that's a strategic move. What he's hoping to do is point out to the Pharaoh, hey, these guys are shepherds and Goshen has a lot of land for shepherding and well, they're already there and um, you know, they, they could go anywhere but it, it just makes sense that they would stay where they're already at and he's hoping Pharaoh is going to come to that conclusion on his own and hence all the rehearsal and the strategic moves and the parking of them in Goshen. Well, in verse 2 through 4 Joseph selects five of what we assume are his most presentable brothers. We're not told which ones they are. Pharaoh asks them what their occupation is, and the brothers respond. Now, this is, so far, this is going exactly how Joseph said it would. If you look back at the end of chapter 46, he called it. He says, this is what's going to happen, and that's what's happening. In Genesis 46, 34, here's the rehearsal. He says, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that we dwell, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So that's what Joseph had told his brothers. Here's what you say. Well, so far, so good. That was the plan. They were supposed to state that there were shepherds. Again, that's another reason why this works out so great. Goshen is kind of on the fringe of Egypt. It's not Egypt proper, So because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians, again, he's hoping that Pharaoh will say, yeah, that's probably a good spot for you over on the side where you're not right in the middle of everybody else. But they continue. They don't stop at the end of what Joseph had coached them to say. They keep going. We've come to sojourn in the land. Remember, sojourn just means we're visitors here. We're not permanent residents. Um, This is temporary. We're not here forever. But then they add this. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. They just came right out and asked for it. They're, they're, They're foreigners, strangers in front of literally the most powerful man in the world at the time. And they just come right out and overreach and say, you know what? Give us Goshen. Uh, it seems like everybody's in the same room, and I'm imagining Joseph trying to keep a straight face, but inside screaming, "What are you doing? What 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 are you doing? We had a plan. You're supposed to stick to the plan." The king turns and addresses Joseph, and I'm. I, don't know, I imagine him holding his breath, wondering what's, what is he going to say. Remember, the Pharaoh is the king, and in those days, the king did whatever he wanted. The king's word was, was law, and whatever he said happened. He could execute people, he could banish people, he could throw people in prison. I mean just he had everything at his disposal. So he turns and addresses Joseph and he says, "Yeah, okay, um, sure." let them settle in the land of Goshen. So the king decides to leave them set right where they are and to grant this this overreach and what we might call a royal blunder. So again, God blesses them in Egypt, anywhere, and he blesses them anytime, even in the midst of this this social royal blunder. And then look at the end. Uh, Oh, by the way, if you have anybody who's really good with cattle, put them in charge of my livestock." So Pharaoh is hoping that the all the apples don't fall very far from the tree and if these guys have any kind of skill like Joseph has with administration and strategic planning and grain storage and distribution, if these guys have half the talent on livestock keeping that Joseph has in these areas, this is going to work out great. So, this turned out very well. Not only did they get the land that they wanted to settle in, but they got job offers. How's that? God blessed the sons of Israel even in the midst of a royal blunder. Well, starting in verse 7, we've got another section. Pharaoh's blessed. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And in, in verse 7, again in verse 10, if you see it's kind of bookends, uh, this little short section. Pharaoh asks Jacob how old he is 130 years of my sojourning, that's a good reminder for us. Jacob looks at his life through the lens of faith and he realizes we're just temporary residents here. We're passing through the vast amount of time of our existence because we will all exist for eternity in one place or another. The vast amount of our existence is going to be somewhere else. We're just sojourners here. We're just passing through. Let's not get too attached to the here and now. Yeah, this is our house right now that we live in, but <laughs> um, it's not going to be ours 80 years from now. It's going to belong to something else. We're just sojourners. And then he says, "Few and evil have been the days and years of my life." Um, yeah, it has been few. He's he's going to live. So the text tells us 147 years. Um, Abraham 175, Isaac 180, so yeah, not as much as my father's before me. And evil, NIV translates it as difficult, could also be translated as troubling. That's an understatement. If we remember back, this is Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau? His brother wanted to kill him. He fled for his life and then where did he flee to, he fled to Laban Oh, that was, that was a pleasant experience all those years with the, with the father-in-law that kept harassing him and changing the deal and, and tricking him and, and, and squeezing every little piece of labor he could out of him And yeah, that was not a fun experience and then remember his sons has, have caused him headaches as well let's not forget the slaughtering of an entire city Shechem all that bloodshed Thinking Joseph was dead all these years? Imagine the, the emotional pain that Jacob has gone through. Yeah, it's not been an easy life. But he turns around and blesses Pharaoh. And we need to see this through um, the eyes of, of what God had told Abraham back in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you. So this is a fulfillment of that. This is a partial and one of the times it's being fulfilled. Pharaoh is blessing them, giving them the land of Goshen to reside in or free rent, if you want to call it that. And God is in turn blessing Pharaoh. Pharaoh became very prosperous during the famine. If you caught that, we're going to cover it in just a second. But Pharaoh made out very well during the famine. All the money went into Pharaoh's account. And then verses 11 and 12, Joseph settled his family and made full provisions for them. So 13 through the, this whole big section, 13, let's say, through oh maybe 26 or so. This is a big chunk, but we're going to move through it rather rapidly. It's it's one section after another where um, money is a given, then the animals are given, then the land is... One thing after another is given in exchange for food. So the first exchange that that happens is money for grain. Uh, Verse 13 tells us that the famine did continue. It was very severe, just as the Lord had revealed in the dream. There was no food in Egypt or Canaan, but Joseph had planned for this. He'd made provision and so that they had stored up an abundance of grain, and so now it was no problem. Pharaoh had all this grain. They had these big granaries. Remember, it said so much that they had lost track. They didn't even... They didn't have a count. They didn't have an accurate reckoning of just how much grain they had. And of course, it was there to be sold. All the money in the land was used to buy grain. Okay, This is back when they had hard currency. Right? They couldn't print more. When they wanted more money. Okay, there was a standard here. And when it was gone, it was gone. And it was gone. And it was now all pharaohs. And then in verse 15 through 17, okay, we'll give you livestock for grain. Joseph allowed them to barter their animals, uh, uh, horses, flocks, herds, donkeys. Okay, yeah, let's take all our animals, give those for food. Then in verses 18 through 20, land and servitude for grain. The only thing that was left was the land they were living on and themselves. So this was a thing in ancient times. People would sometimes voluntarily sell sell themselves into servitude. That's what they did. Uh, Joseph agreed. He took their land, he took their servitude in exchange for food. All the land became pharaohs and all the people became tenant farmers. Everybody, it says from one end of Egypt to the other, everybody just, boom, turned over their land, except for the Egyptian priests. Uh, Let's clarify, it's talking about the Egyptian priests, so the pagan priests, uh, magician-type people that were in Egypt, they were the ones that retained their land and, and didn't have to give it up. It was the pagan priests. And then verses uh, twenty-seven through twenty-eight, Israel multiplied, Israel became prosperous and, and famine during the famine too. Look at the language, it says, gain possessions in it, fruitful, multiplied. Remember, God had told Jacob, I am going to make you into a nation there. There I'm going to multiply you. Where? In Egypt, in this pagan land. God blesses them once again, anytime, anywhere. They don't have to be in the promised land. They don't have to be in in the land of Canaan. They could be in a completely foreign land, and boom, God blesses them. And he did. They gained possessions. Everybody else is selling everything they own, including themselves. And they are gaining possessions and abundance. Jacob was allowed to live another 17 years, His last 17 years in Egypt with Joseph. And then in verses 29 through 31, Jacob has Joseph promised to bury him in the family tomb. And he tells him to put his hand under his thigh. If this sounds familiar, it is, because we've seen it before in Genesis 24. This is where, uh, if you remember back, Abraham made his servant, put his hand under his thigh, and swear not to take... A wife for Isaac from among the indigenous peoples but to go back and take a wife um, from uh, the land of Canaan or, or from the land of the, from their family and he did so he makes this promise I will do as you have said and then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his, his bed so this is an act of worship we're, we're envisioning um, Jacob slash Israel Nearing the end of his life, doesn't have a whole lot of strength. He's going to worship God wherever he can, and right now it's just in bed, uh, thanking God probably that He's allowed this last uh, request, and probably um, you know this we're in speculation zone now, but I'm, I'm imagining um, thanking God that this son that He thought was dead is now here to fulfill that promise. Anytime, anywhere, God God blesses. Anytime, anywhere, even when Joseph's brothers failed to say their lines and they overreached for the land of Goshen, God blessed them. Even in a pagan land like Egypt, these, there was no reason that, that Pharaoh had to, to give them that. Uh, they were an abomin- shepherds shepherd an abomination to the Egyptians. God blessed them. During a severe famine, when everyone else around them was losing everything, God blessed them. God can and does bless any time. Now this is good news for us because everything in our life doesn't always work out perfectly. We don't always find ourselves in the best situations or the best time in life. We often find ourselves in difficult times or in places where we don't want to be. I think we've all committed a royal blunder or two in the past and yet God can and does bless us anytime and anywhere. This is also good news for the church, both local churches and the church with a capital C, the church universal, that God blesses anytime, anywhere. I want to draw our attention back to the book of Acts, Acts 5 and following, just for a moment. Um, Acts 5, this is where Peter and some of the other disciples were were arrested and beaten for proclaiming Jesus. They were teaching Jesus the gospel. They were teaching Jesus Christ. And so they were arrested and beaten. And when they were released, Acts 5 41 through 42 says this Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So, first of all, they didn't stop just because they were beaten, they continued. Even though things were not great, uh, they weren't in the best of places, a hostile city, Jerusalem at the time, and a hostile time. And then the next verse, beginning right at the, at the beginning of the chapter, says that the disciples were increasing in number. And then if we track along into chapter 7, we see that's where Stephen is, is stoned. He gives his testimony and the historical review and then, and then uh, indicts the leaders Um, And then he's stoned to death. But then the next several chapters after that, um, the Bible lays out how the proclamation of God and the receiving of of new believers increased. And so when we look at at Acts, we see the same thing happening here. And I think the point to, to draw from all that is that God was blessing the church with bold proclamation and the receiving of new people being called into the kingdom in the midst... Of a hostile time and a hostile location. God was blessing anytime, anywhere. Does this have any relevance for today? For the church at large or even local churches? I think it does. Here's here's an example. This is just one example. In 1994, a a minority of people in the United States were supportive of homosexual behavior. In 1994, a minority. But, of course, in 2015, Supreme Court decision opened the gates for same-sex marriage. And now, at that point, and of course today, we have a majority of people in the United States that are in favor of homosexuals' behavior and are supportive in general. Those are facts. That's just where we're at in our country right now. Complete flip-flop in 20 years. Now, of course, Scripture hasn't changed, but public opinion has and the church finds herself living in this time, in this place. We're not 20 years ago, we're, we're today, in 2021. I think we can agree that there's only going to be increased pressure to, to go along and to conform to the cultural narrative, to the secular worldview. There's only going to increase persecution against the church and anyone who doesn't fully embrace the narrative and the worldview. But God can and does bless any time and anywhere. So I don't want us to get discouraged about where we happen to find ourselves this time and this place in America. God can very much still bless the church with bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the receiving of new believers into his kingdom. Now at the beginning of the the message I said that there was uh, one thing that God chooses not to do in regards to spiritual blessing and it takes some unpacking so let's talk about that right now even though God blesses anytime and anywhere he does not bless anyone with the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ now it's true that God often chooses to bless unbelievers we look at an example in our text Pharaoh was not a believer in Yahweh God The God of Israel. He was a pagan. He believed in multiple multiplicity of gods. He believed in believed in uh, uh, you know polytheism. There was the God of the Nile. There was the God of the crops. The God of the harvest. The God of fertility. There were all kinds of gods. He didn't believe in God. Yet God blessed him. Yeah, no no problem with with material, physical, temporal blessings. Sure. We're not going to deny that. If we look around today, there are all kinds of um, unbelievers um, who are rich and famous, who have been blessed with um, wealth and, and success or physical strength or beauty. Sure, yeah, we're not denying that. However, God is very selective on who he pours out his spiritual blessings on, his saving grace, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. Those spiritual blessings, he's very selective. They're not given to just anyone. They're only given to his elect, those who are effectually called and regenerated by the Holy Spirit and justified. They're given to believers in Christ. That's who the spiritual blessings are given to, believers in Christ, not to anyone else. And I'm going to list through a couple, we're going to just rip off a couple of, of scripture cross references here. And the point of the multiple references is to show the repeated emphasis on the fact that we don't, we're, we're not born sons and daughters of God. We become sons and daughters of God. So let's look at John one twelve. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then John 12.36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And before we think that uh, we've got the, the sons of, of God in Christ and then everybody else is just kind of, you know, at large or some kind of neutral category or, you know, they'll be okay in the end. Scripture, again, goes out of its way to tell us, no, there's only two categories. John 8, 44 through 47, you are of the father, your devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Whoever is not of God hears the words of God, or excuse me, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you did not hear them is that you are not of God. First John 3, 9-10 through 10, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, making a practice of sinning. That doesn't mean an absence of sin. Of course, no one has an absence of sin, but it's someone who walks in it and makes a practice of it. Anytime, anywhere, the scripture is clear. If someone is not in Christ through faith, then they will not receive the spiritual blessings that come from being united to Christ by faith. I mean, that's just that simple. If we're not in Christ by faith, then we don't receive the spiritual blessings that come from being in Christ by faith. Now here's the good news. Even though God does not extend spiritual blessings to just anyone, God does extend forgiveness of sins and every spiritual blessing to everyone who calls on his name. So let's keep that in he doesn't. He doesn't give them to anyone, but he does give them to everyone who calls on his name. John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's that first part. He doesn't just give them to anyone. There's that chasm between those who are in Christ and those who aren't. That's the dividing line. But then John three sixteen through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. I hope we can hear that, that tension in there. The blessings, the spiritual blessings in Christ, forgiveness of sins, life everlasting, they're not given to just anyone, but they are given to everyone who calls on his name. There's a difference. So God presents his gospel. God sets forth and proclaims his gospel to ordinary people like you and me. And he brings them into his kingdom. And he often brings people first to his law. Because remember, if you're not in Christ, you're, you're probably thinking, well, I'm doing okay without God. I don't need Jesus in my life. In fact, uh, many people say, I'm doing real well, actually. Healthy, wealthy, wise. Why do I need Jesus? Okay, God's word takes us to the law first. Have you ever been angry with someone? Yeah. Have you ever looked lustfully at another person? Yeah. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you, even something small? Sure. Have you ever lied or not completely told the truth in every single situation throughout your entire life? Yeah. Have you ever desired, coveted something that doesn't belong to you? Yeah, okay. Well, we've just taken you through half the table of law those are the last five commandments and the Ten Commandments. Every single person has broken them. We are lawbreakers before God. And we can try to brush it off, but here's the thing. God has written that law in our hearts. So even if externally we're saying, no, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm not that bad. inwardly we know, yeah, I have done those things. We know we've sinned. So then God provides Jesus Christ and he sets forth Jesus and he said, okay, he says, here's my son. He didn't do any of those things. He's never been angry at anyone. Uh, He's he's never uh, murdered anyone. He's never committed adultery. He's never looked lustfully at anyone. He's never stolen anything. He's he's always told the truth. There's no lie found in him. He's never coveted. He has perfectly obeyed God's law. That's what God demands and, and has to have. Jesus has it. And so he, he, he tells us, if you turn to Jesus in faith, if you put your trust in him, God will take that perfect righteousness that he demands and that Jesus alone has and will credit it to you. It's called imputed righteousness. It's not ours. We're the sinners. I'm a sinner. It, it's not my righteousness. As, as Elder Angel Contreras read this morning, a righteousness that is not my own, but from God. A righteousness that is from God through faith in Jesus Christ that's what that verse of Philippians is talking about so God credits that perfect righteousness to to the person who turns to him in faith and then he says and the payment that Jesus made on the cross that's what all that's about his blood on the cross that's payment that's the, the penalty for sin being poured out on Jesus when you turn to Jesus in faith God accepts that payment on your behalf so he doesn't have to punish you The penalty for sin is is death, eternal death. So God brings us his gospel. If we want to know how to be made right with God, if we want to know how to become sons of God in Christ, that's how, it's through faith. It's not through becoming a better person or living a good life doing enough good deeds to balance out the scale so in the end, God will look favorably upon us. It doesn't work. We're sinners. And he saves people. Anytime, anywhere. Doesn't make a difference. Anytime, how about right now? Anywhere, how about here? God saves people through the ordinary means of the proclaiming of his gospel and the Holy Spirit working on people's hearts, convicting convicting them of their sin, and having them turn towards Jesus in faith. And let me answer a question that might be in some of your minds. Somebody might be asking, you know what, it seems like every sermon we kind of end up back at the cross, and we end up with Jesus somehow coming out. Correct. Yes. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because this is where God has chosen to proclaim his gospel. If, if the Church of Jesus Christ is not proclaiming the gospel, who is? So we make it our aim to proclaim the gospel. And second of all, I've heard a very seasoned pastor give this testimony one time. He said, "This is at the end of his ministry." He said, after 35, 40 years in various churches, he said, "I've got to tell you, I've had the privilege of seeing lots of people come to Christ nine times out of 10. They are church members." There are people that have that have somehow become members and kind of kind of stayed on the fringe, and or maybe maybe they're even sometimes he said they're they're like elders' wives have come and said I've been converted. Officers, people have been in the church for years, but for whatever reason it it had never clicked and it had never it had never made sense. They never they never experienced the conviction of knowing they were sinners in need of forgiveness. So that's why. Everyone, Romans 10 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God does not extend his spiritual blessings to just anyone, but to everyone who calls on his son's name. Ephesians 1 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In Christ. They're not for just anyone, but they're given freely to everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. So I would would challenge each of us, if we're in Christ today, keep turning to Jesus. If you're not in Christ this morning, turn to him today, right here, right now. In the midst of what we might call a royal blunder, God blessed the sons of Israel. And they're overreaching before Pharaoh. In the midst of a severe famine, God blessed the house of Israel they gain possessions, they increased, they multiplied. The fact that God can and does bless anytime, anywhere is good news, but the fact that God gives every spiritual blessing to everyone who calls on his name, that is the good news, capital G, capital N. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have made it plain to us the way of salvation. And it's it's not a heavy yoke. It's not a burden. It's not a uh, a mission impossible, Father. It is turning to Jesus in faith, acknowledging that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, everyone who does that is received into your kingdom. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to them through faith. Their penalty has been paid. They're covered in the saving blood of Jesus Christ and they're received as sons and daughters of God. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit. And we thank you for salvation through faith in Christ. Amen.